The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. And today's word is education. Yes, you're in the right place. Reading and writing and arithmetic taught to the tune of a hickory stick. Anybody else remember that one? Oh, am I aging myself. My, 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 have times have changed. Is the traditional concept of school thwarting the intellectual process and spitting out graduates by the millions who are unable to succeed? The real question is how do we redesign education to equip our kids to function, survive, and succeed in our increasingly fast-paced, high-tech world. I've got five very, very smart experts passionate about education. They are going to share their deep expertise and their insights. Let me tell you what they told me to get you to listen. This is a very, very compelling topic. Kim Jones from Kariki says, memorization will take a backseat to problem-solving and complex thinking. 21st century skills and project-based learning, those are all new to me. We'll be asking Kim Jones about that in a minute. Kim Sachs, yes, we have two Kims on the show today. They're going to say their last names every time they speak so we can keep them clear. From the Nueva school. Kim Sachs says, the internet and technology such as Skype support the teaching of more open-ended and complex projects than ever before. She's going to talk to us from her deep expertise. Curtis Johnson, author of Disrupting Class. Well, that used to be something you didn't want to do. Today you do. Curtis says the role of teachers will see profound changes, all good. They'll go from being a qualified source of knowledge, dispensing information to, here's the key word, largely passive students lined up in rows of desk, remember those days, to being planners, facilitators, and coaches in the learning process. Sounds revolutionary to me. We'll talk to Curtis in a minute. Nero Kosla from the CK12 Foundation simply says, we no longer need textbooks. Well, if that's not revolutionary, I don't know what is. And John Mayerhofer from SAP says, technology will enable schools and other institutions, which are essentially experienced providers, to cost-effectively facilitate personalized, here's his keyword, student-centered learning for today's learners and an additional 3 billion new minds. If that doesn't shake you up, nothing will. Today's game changer topic, the future of education, teaching our kids to think. What a concept. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome so much to another live edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP. Today is Wednesday, October 24th. We are live on the Business Channel. We will be podcast for you to share the show and tell everybody about it. We will be podcast for on-demand listening. And I need a moment with my listeners before I introduce my guests. Are you a game changer? 
challenged by vast volumes of business data that are not getting instant access and analysis it demands? Well, we've got a special banner for you on our homepage on the business channel. It says free HANA value calculator. Yes, it's free. Click it, sign up, see what you need. It's on us. Talk to you more about some free reports on education later. Okay, let me tell you about my guest. Kim Jones is chairman of the board and CEO of Kiriki. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. A nonprofit organization focused on improving education through technology for children. Kim Jones, welcome. How are you today? Uh, great to be here, Bonnie. Thank you so much, Kim. Looking forward to your insights. And did I pronounce Kiriki right? You certainly did. Good. Okay, that's a home run for me. I'm going to turn now to our second guest, Kim Sachs, Director of the Innovation Lab at the Nueva School. She's a lecturer at Stanford University and a board member of the Institute for Applied Thinking. She is an educator and a former engineer and R&D director. How many lives do you have, Kim Sachs? Talk to me. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks for joining me. That must be one heck of a business card. I'm going to welcome now Curtis Curtis Johnson, president of the City States Group. They report on strategic issues facing regions. He is a managing partner of Education Evolving, and he's co-author of the book Disrupting Class, all about how changing learning models are disrupting the industry of schools. Never thought about it as an industry. Welcome, Curtis Johnson. How are you Thank today? You. Great, great to be here. Thank you for joining me. Nero Kosla is co-founder and executive director of CK12 Foundation. It's a nonprofit that aims to reduce the cost of textbook materials for the K-12 market in the U.S. and worldwide. Welcome, Nero. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having us on. Wonderful. Thanks for joining us. And John Mayerhofer, VP of Innovation at SAP Labs. I'm a big fan of innovation, and so is John. He designs programs to cultivate grassroots and open innovation. He helps design apps for sustainable design decision-making. And he also, and this is why he's here, leads the Future of Education Research Initiative. Hi, John. How are you today? Good morning, buddy. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Okay, I have a challenge for my guests. There are five of you, and I've got eight minutes till the break, and I want to hear from all of you. So let's do a one-minute. I'll go in the order in which I introduced you. I'll read your quote and tell me a little bit about it. So Kim Jones from Kariki, memorization will take a backseat to problem-solving and complex thinking. 21st century skills, project-based learning. What does that mean, Kim Jones? Well, I'll give you some examples, Bonnie. Um, we used to memorize things like who are the you know, U.S. presidents by name and by year. Uh, mm-hmm. Today, you know, you can look that up on the Internet. So the most important thing is to really understand the decisions they made, their accomplishments, and to be able to analyze those and bring those back to compare to today's world, to really learn from them. Um, another good example is physics. You know, you used to memorize formulas. Now you're going to use physics to do things like experiment, to tinker and to test things, which is really engineering. Or, for example, if you're interested in sailing, you can learn about the wind, and you might be the next America's Cup sailor out there. So, you know, we're really moving away from the traditional memorization that is and traditional testing that's done in the classroom and really trying to get students to learn how to apply uh, critical thinking skills, um, collaboration, and problem-solving to real-world world problems that we have today. And, oh, by the way, I think it will be without a textbook, too. I agree with Nehru. 
Okay, we're going to get to that. And thank you, Kim. And I was going to use the word applied applications, making it real, applying it to things you do, things you know, people you know, the real world. Good, good introduction. Thank you, Kim. Let's move to Kim Sachs at Nueva School. She says the Internet and technology such as Skype support the teaching of more open-ended and complex projects than ever before. How complex are these, Kim Sachs? Well, uh, we're going and taking kids into the real world to solve problems. Uh, we now take them on field trips with iPads where they're interviewing people, maybe in the city around urban issues, uh, collecting interviews, taking um, photographs, and then even using CAD software to sketch out possible solutions to the problems they identify. And those are third graders. So we really believe wow. in technology. These are students that are growing up with it, but they also they not only need to know it for their futures, they'll need to be able to learn new technologies as they, um, as they appear and, more importantly, figure out how to use them uh, to help people the most. In addition to that, we have uh, a lot of students doing um, projects where they, we Skype uh, people from around the world in. There was one group that wanted to improve uh, computer adoption in Rwanda, and we got someone from Ireland who Skyped in and, and told them about his work over the past 10 years trying to get more technology into another African country. Kim, so that's, that's it, what we're doing. It sounds exciting to me, Kim. It sounds like education is coming alive. The students are involved and engaged. All good things are not sitting there, as Kim Jones said, just memorizing by rote. Those days are over, and I personally am glad to hear it. Let's turn to Curtis Johnson, disrupting class author. Listen, Curtis, when you and I were growing up, disrupting class was a bad thing. You were in the hall. You were in the counselor's office. You went to see the principal. Your mom got called. Now you're writing a book called Disrupting Class. The role of teachers will see profound change all good. We no longer want kids lined up as the teacher spews out information to passive kids. We want them to be planners, facilitators, coaches. Talk to me very briefly. Disrupting class, what is it about and how did you pick the title, Curtis? Give me an intro. Well, we picked the title because <clears throat> co-author Clay Christensen had become rather famous for his theory of disruptive innovation. And clearly, teaching is a piece of that. Um, the public tends to think about education as being a kind of a triangle. You have parents, students, and teachers. And when we don't get the results we were hoping for, we tend to blame somebody. And in this country, we are about a decade now into blaming teachers. And I would assert to you that that's fundamentally unfair. They face all these kids of widely varying aptitudes and kinds of intelligence and learning styles. And we expect from teachers accountability, but we don't give them authority. Somebody else tells them what to do, when to do, how to do. And one of the things we will get over in the next few years is the notion that we need to give teachers real professional authority over what matters in school. Once we do that, it will be reasonable to expect accountability from them, and the research so far suggests that when you do that, you get what you're looking for. Thank you, Curtis. Uh, disruption is another a synonym or an explanation of game changers, and that's who we are, Coffee Break with Game Changers. So this is perfect, and thank you for everything you added. Nehru, I can give you one minute on the clock. We no longer need textbooks. That is profound. That is dramatic. That is dynamic. It's revolutionary. Nehru, do you really mean that? Of course I mean that. I wouldn't <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> well, you know, uh, we forget that uh in general, we are individuals. And in a class situation, it's really hard to get that individualized or the personal nature of learning. So what we need to do then is make 
teachers, the adaptive learning experts. And that's who they are. But giving them the tools, which they don't have today, paper and pencil and actual single person trying to take care of a wide range of person, uh, uh, abilities is, is very hard for anyone to learn or teach. So this is one of the major reasons our, our schools are failing. Our teachers are looking like they're not doing their job. So to help them, you know, we need to give them the right tool, and technology provides that, um, you know, if the technology is done right. I'm a big proponent of that, and I think that's what's going to change what we've, uh, we've set out to do. Thank you, Nero. Good oversight. And John Mayerhofer, last but definitely not least, and thank you for bringing us this great topic, John. Appreciate it. You say technology will enable schools and other institutions which have been experienced providers to cost-effectively, we will address that, facilitate personalized student-centered learning for today's learnings and an additional 3 billion new minds. When you say student-centered learning and personalized, that's probably scary to a lot of educational institutions, John. Do you really mean that? Yeah, I, I do. And uh, again, I think a lot of institutions would welcome the capabilities to offer personalized learning. Uh, we, we, we see so many new paradigms. I mean, if you look at like Quest to Learn in New York City, a school based on gaming, uh, they have a whole middle school curriculum. Or if you look at some of the things that Paulo Blickstein is doing at the Fab Lab at the Center for Educational Research at Stanford, or that Kim is putting into practice at the Nueva School, I mean, they're letting children make things and use their hands and in bacon learning uh, in, in many ways. One project can teach four or five different subjects. So it's project-based immersive learning where you're physically involved in it. These are just two methods of, you know, dozens, if not perhaps hundreds. And, and people always ask, well, is this the answer? Is this the answer? And I think the answer is, yes, it is, but for some kids. I think the answer to that question is always, yes, it is for some kids. Everybody's different based on your, neuro- your neurology, um, your family experience, your, your interests, your passions. And we can get so much more out of our citizens, educating citizens lifelong, if we can offer them a personalized path. And, and I think we can go in this program, what can enable that? Um, we can't do that in a minute, but I think that's fundamentally the, the goal here um, from a policy perspective is we, we can't tell kids what to learn. We can suggest things, but we can't mm-hmm. have a policy that says let's offer children a personalized learning path and the capabilities to do that. I love it. Sounds creative, innovative, and it sounds smart. We're going to talk about smart education in a few minutes. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. We are live. Game Changers, boy. We are live. It's October 24th. How the year has flown by. We just passed our one year on the Business Channel. I've got Kim Sachs. I've got Kim Jones. I've got Curtis Johnson. I've got Nero Kosla. And I've got John Mayerhofer. Fine. Five very passionate people about education. If you're a parent, if you're a student, if you once went to school anywhere in the world, you want to listen and hear what's changing and what we're going to look forward to. When we come back, we'll find out what my guests are drinking, the coffee coffee cup segment. Out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com and you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. And here we are, time for Coffee Break. Okay, my esteemed five panelists, let's go around the big breakfast table we've got today. Kim Jones, what's in your cup? Well, I probably should say Java, since uh, Kariki was incubated at Sun Microsystems, famous for discovering Java, and since I worked there for about 25 years. But what I have to say is that in my coffee cup, since I don't drink Java, is uh, good, strong English breakfast tea, you know, the real leaf kind, not the uh, tea bags. Sounds terrific. Sounds authentic. That's what we like. Thank you, Kim Jones. Kim Sachs, what's in your cup today, my dear? So in honor of the show, I uh, got out my very special can of hand-picked Chinese, uh, not first of the season, but second of the season, green tea. I got to go to China with some eighth-grade students, and we saw the plantation. We hiked around it. We um, got to see the grandfather who roasted in a giant walk and had calluses from the heat, and a little granddaughter on her pink tricycle. And um, I love this tea because I remember all of the eighth graders around the table taking their first sip, and the whole they were quiet and silent, and just this reverence came about. So that's what I'm drinking, home-brewed, green, second-of-the-season Chinese green tea. I love the story. I visualized it all. That was a good learning experience. Thank you, Kim. And that will lead into our topic in a moment. Curtis Johnson, what's in your cup today, Curtis? Well, it being just a little early yet for any fine red wine, uh, I'm afraid I'm following in the footsteps of the two Kims, and I've got a little cup of Bigelow's green tea. The great thing about that is that once you're through drinking it warm, uh, all afternoon, you can just dilute it somewhat, add ice, and you've got great iced tea. Very nice. Very <laughs> creative. I love that flexibility, Curtis. You rock. You're a, a good tea drinker. Niru Kosla, what are you drinking today? Well, I'm drinking my own concorded Indian tea with cardamom. But you know what Ooh. my pet peeve is? What's my that? My pet peeve is that in the U.S., people just don't understand that you have to really heat up the water to make a good tea. Absolutely. That's true. That's about learning. 
That's that's a good learning experience, and you know we've had guests on Niru from who are based in London, uh, Brits through yes. and through, and they have mm-hmm. lectured us on not only the temperature of the water, but the exactly. thickness or fineness of the china in which you're supposed to drink that perfectly brewed tea. So we've had lessons in tea, and I'm glad you're underscoring that. Good learning experience. Thank you, John Mayerhofer. What are you drinking today, my friend? I think I'm the only coffee drinker today. So I'm drinking organic, fair trade, shade-grown coffee from Ethiopia, and it's from specifically the Yergeshef region, which is the birthplace of coffee, the first place where they cultivated coffee. Very nice. It, it, well, we, It's really you know, strong. Okay, so it's heavy on the caffeine, right? High, I call that high octane. Is that what you're doing? <clears throat> I need it. My doctor tells me to drink four cups of coffee a day, so I listen to him. <laughs> Good to know. And you are not the only coffee drinker because Malcolm, our unofficial co-producer, our influencer relations guru, helps us getting wonderful guests on the show. Malcolm is in Boston, and he says, sadly, he's stuck in a hotel room. Well, I'm sure it's a beautiful hotel room, Malcolm. He's missing his equator coffee, which he brews at home when he's in California. But he says, Green Mountain French is hitting the spot. So we do have a coffee partner for you today, John. Okay, let's get into our roundtable now. Kim Jones, I want to talk about the fact that classes can take place anywhere. A new type of blended learning will become the norm. Uh, We're talking about how big is the classroom today? Does it have walls, barriers? Does it have doors, exits, and entries? Or is it Skype-enabled? Is it global? Not just getting on a plane, but how big or small does the classroom need to be? Kim Jones, kick us off, and then I'm going to ask everybody about this. Please go. Well, thanks, Bonnie. Of course, it depends on where the classroom is and in which school, but definitely the classroom today can be a blended learning experience for the students. And it can really combine, you know, the teacher in-class work and and projects and collaborations, kind of group learning on real projects, uh, with digital uh, materials, which, of course, what curric- is what Curriki is providing, you know, open educational resources that really allow teachers to bring the class alive, but also allow students to, you know, move at their own speed and really... Um, personalize the learning experience and allow the teachers really to work as a coach and um, let the kids work at their own pace. So the concept of grade levels, for example, can go away because you can have a student that's very good at math moving ahead at their own speed and a student at the same age um, that's um, not as good at math, you know, kind of working at their own level, but they might be great at history or they might be great at language arts. So blended learning really does allow for that integration of digital materials and the ability for kids to um, integrate that um, and allow for a much more personalized experience than they've had in the past. Kim, quick question. We know that all students are not naturally equipped to learn like everybody else is. Some students have different kinds of needs, so whether it's temperament, whether it's personality, whether it's health issues. Does this work for everyone? I'm going to ask all my guests that question, but does this approach work for everyone? I, I think it, from the standpoint of the, the teacher as the coach, if you will, can, can move around and help the kids that are having problems. I mean, what it does is it really allows the kids to excel in the areas where they excel, and it allows them to get help in the areas where they where they help. And because with digital resources, you have so many different ways that you can learn a subject. I mean, it could be straight reading and lecturing. It could be videos. It could be games that interact with you. I, I think 
it will help more than the traditional experience. And I think there are uh, medias out there and different ways of learning concepts, which is what kids get stuck on, that will mm-hmm. help um, tremendously more than they have in the past. Okay, thank you. I want to turn to Kim Sachs and talk to you about information being available on the Internet and what you call ambiguous projects helping students delve into the unknown. Kim, how do we, how does a teacher today, how do you in the design thinking field, uh, an innovator if you will, how do you know what should be trusted as good information on the Internet that would be beneficial to the student's journey as they learn? How do you vet that information, in other words? Well, the I think that not only teachers but students themselves have to be really trained into being skeptical and, and vetting information. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best technique that I have heard about was from Alan November, uh, who he actually has teachers give an assignment and uh, list a few websites for the students to reference. And among the list is one that looks like a very valid site. And the students go in and use it, trusting their teacher and all. And then they, they, when they come back in the class, they find out it was actually done by a very extreme group and someone that they really should have questioned the information about. And so by, by putting, uh, in a controlled situation, by a teacher putting in a kind of a, a red herring kind of website, we can train students to be, uh, really good vetters of those websites. Uh, we, Generally, uh, my approach is to take uh, university websites and, you know, kind of, you know, you learn a, a number of strategies and how to double check and triple check information to make sure mm-hmm. just as you would with books. You wouldn't just read it in one book and take it as fact you would in the old days. You would uh, cross check your references. So uh, we, we find our students are pretty astute and really do um, question our websites. And I'm talking about upper middle school age is when we get into that kind of thing. Okay, thank you. Curtis Johnson, I want to ask you about a quote that was new to me. You sent me this before the show. You said, teachers will go from sages on the stage to guides on the side. What does that mean? Where did it come from? Well, I think that little phrase has become a kind of cliche out there. But, uh, I mean, the, the fundamental thing to understand is that when we talk about technology and its role in changing how teachers operate, as well as how students learn, you have to think of technology as a platform. We've gone through a whole generation in which it was fashionable simply to shove technology into the classroom, you know, add a computer here or there. That was about as effective as engineers in the 1950s trying to shove transistors into vacuum tube appliances. Mm-hmm. If you think about technology as a platform, your mind quickly understands that this is where this generation lives. Almost everything they learn that they remember has happened on the technology platform. So it's completely nonsense to ask them to power down and to disassociate themselves with that in order to go to school just so they can go to school like we remember it. So in that scenario, you easily see that the role of the teacher becomes profoundly different and I would argue a much better, more fully professional role. Very interesting. I, I, I want to say before we get too deep into the conversation, I think teachers are heroes today. I know we talk about what kinds of role models and heroes do we have for our children to aspire to, to emulate, to model themselves after. And I think teachers, especially in difficult areas of the country and the world, are the heroes because they're charged with such a huge responsibility to educate our kids, period. Big, big job. Nero, you want to chime in on that, that theme of teachers as being so responsible? We're talking about customizing education 
education. Is every teacher trained and cut out to do that, Nehru, in your experience? Um, actually, no. Um, okay. That's, you know, part of the whole, uh, I, I think that's part of the whole uh, thing that's pulling the system down. Uh, we don't have uh, the rightly trained people to take care of the new media they have access to. They think about when we went from, uh, you know, the slate to the paper and pen, you know, things changed. Now, from paper pen, now we've gone to multimedia and many more modalities uh, to take advantage of in our teaching and learning. And to really be able to do that, we've got to know what we're doing. And if the teachers don't know that, how are they going to be successful in that? Students, on the other hand, learn much faster about these new technologies, these new media, the new modalities. You know, they're able to um, be attracted because part of the thing is they get feedback on the spot. They get guidance uh, from, you know, uh, tutorials or from how to do or from their peers. Those are very important aspects of learning and teaching which tend to get lost in a, in a classroom with very diverse abilities. And so for a teacher to be successful, I've seen this. I've seen it at Nueva. I've seen it in, at many places where teachers can do it when they actually either have the mindset to do it or the mm-hmm. training to do it. Very, very important. Nero, I'm going to cut you off because we're at our break. And, John, don't worry. You're going to open our next segment. We're talking to an esteemed panel about the future of education, teaching our kids to think, to cope, to survive, to function in a big, big, fast-moving world. When we come back, John Mayerhofer is going to talk to us about what he calls trusted agents, parents and teachers. They're in the partnership with the kids who are learning. How trusted are they? What do they need to know to be those trusted agents? And we'll talk about the Design Center for New Disruptive Systems. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We have a fast-paced show here today. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers. We'll take a breath and we'll be right back. Brad, out. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com Voice America Business Network The bottom line in business You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com and you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at twitter hashtag SAPRADIO now let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers 
we are. We're going to talk to John Mayerhofer from SAP about learners and their trusted agents, parents, teachers. I'm going to throw administrators and education designers into that mix. What's is the relationship, the balance change, John, today as we're talking about innovative, disruptive ways to teach and how kids should believe that they're, the people who are teaching them really know what they're doing in this brave new world of design thinking? What do you think, John? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're a learner, whether you're a child or an adult, right, you're going to have trusted agents that you you collaborate with. Those could be your peers. They could be your parents. They could be your teachers. At a minimum, I mean, going back to one thing Nehru said, your teachers should be adaptive learning experts of sorts. They should be, um, I think there's a term, there's a title at Singularity University called content sommelier, right? They should be able to help you take granular resources and content and, and, and configure them into a curriculum. And of course, industry might be involved as well. Uh, they might reach down further into, say, middle school and suggest a curriculum that would, you know, breed a whole new batch of engineers, um, rocket scientists, who knows, whatever, whatever mm-hmm. the specific company needs. But your, your trusted agents are going to change throughout your life. And, I mean, I'm a parent of three children, and I noticed that even throughout my oldest and six, it's the cost of collaboration with the teachers has gone way down. So even in today's environment, you know, parents... If they want to be involved, they're going to be able to be involved if the cost of collaboration is low. So I definitely think that children are always going to have trusted agents, and to the mm-hmm. extent that the parents and teachers can really fulfill the potential of what they could offer, you know, technology will enable, will enable a lower cost of, of collaboration. And, and you notice I, I mentioned learner because, for me, this mm-hmm. is all about patterns and lifelong learning. I think the learner is the design center. If, if you're going to build technology or systems for learners in the future, build them for the learner not only as the user but as the ultimate chooser, as somebody who's going to take that technology with them throughout their whole life. Very interesting. I have a little anecdote to share with all of you. I don't think I, I told this with anybody, and thank goodness my daughter isn't listening today. But I remember in kindergarten, uh, her teacher contacted me and said we needed an urgent parent-teacher conference. And I said, why? And she said, your daughter is drawing outside of the lines when we do our coloring exercises. And we think she needs some, some drawing lessons, and she might need some vocabulary support. And she might need some assistance. I was very shocked because this was a very precocious, very bright child who could crawl across the room at the age of two and help her older brother and me put puzzle pieces in place. She wasn't even in the room when we started the puzzle. Uh, she was Phi Beta Kappa in her junior year at a very esteemed university. She matched number one at a very high-level program for being a, a pediatrician, and she's a very successful MD now, very creative and does a lot of great work. So I think drawing outs- inside or outside the lines really wasn't the issue. But going way back to the old way we were teaching, it was regimented, it was tight, and God forbid your kid drew outside the lines, you had to go see the teacher. So we'll just leave that one on the table. I want to go to the subject of curriculum. I want everybody to dive in on this. I don't know who wants to start. I'll throw it out, but I want to know. Today, we're talking about innovation. We're talking about getting kids to think, critical thinking, communicating with the world at the in third grade, eighth grade, understanding the classroom doesn't have to have walls. The technology is not something you turn off when you go to school. It's something you bring into the classroom. Empathy, play, meaning, design, stories, collaboration, communication, great big words. Let's get back to basics curriculum what do we still need to teach our kids to get them to pass and graduate and be able to get jobs kim jones you want to kick this off for me 
Ah, uh, yeah. Um, well, I think there, there obviously are still basics that kids have to learn. They have to learn how to read. They have to, to learn math. You know, they have to learn. There are the basics. But, again, I think some of the main things that kids have to learn to really grab and get jobs today are some of the skills that are, have not been traditionally taught in the classroom in the past. And those are things like how do you think critically? How do you solve problems? Um, how do you collaborate with, with mm-hmm. other people? It's very seldom that in a real-life situation, in a job, you're going to be working off on your own. Typically, you're going to be working with other people. And I think the great thing about blended learning and this trend towards integrating digital materials um, into the classroom and allowing kids to work at their own pace and then go and work together on group projects, you know, really project-based learning is is what's going to change um, the outcomes, if you will, of students today and really prepare them better for the world. So a lot of the courses that we put together using our open educational resources at, at Curriki um, mm-hmm. really utilize that project-based learning. And, and project-based learning on subjects that kids can relate to and get excited about, like the example I gave on how you need to use to learn physics if you want to become a sailor. You need to learn about statistics um, if you're going to go to the Olympics and really score the events. Mm-hmm. So I think you know, that's really one of the key ways that it's going to change. Reading, writing, and arithmetic. Are we still teaching the basics, Kim Jones? You still do need the basics. You still need to learn how to read. You learn, need to learn how to write, and you need to learn how to do math. But you need to learn how to apply it, which is, I think, the difference. Very big difference. Kim Sachs, Nueva, what do you think? Agree? I couldn't agree with Kim more. Uh, I also feel that a lot of the basics can be taught through carefully crafted projects. I think that educating teachers to use the principles of design thinking to develop their curriculum uh, it, beca- it falls out. You have, um, you want it to be high interest. You want it to be real world. You want, I, I want it to be ambiguous so that students are prepared to deal with more um, circuitous problems as they grow older. And by by using the design thinking process and uh, using our brainstorming skills, we can create projects that include those basic skills and are still high interest and, and very deep in terms of their critical thinking. Uh, I agree about the collaboration. Um, to me, one of the most important things is that uh, students get lots of experiences as they go through the years going into an area they don't know very much about and identifying what the needs of the people are in that situation. And what that does, that it trains them to be people, just as your show is called, to be change agents, to be people that mm-hmm. don't see the world as something fixed that they just have to accept, but they are change agents able to identify what needs to be changed. And I think that leads to leadership and uh, uh, aliveness uh, for people. Um, in addition to that, one other I wanted to mention was I think we need to really teach students that, um, that you know, they see the finished novel on the on the shelf, and they think that mm-hmm. person, often kids will think they just wrote it, and they don't realize that the, the person who wrote that book went through a very circuitous, iterative kind of approach to finally arrive to that, and we need to show kids more of that and have them do that, too. Very interesting, and I'm just going to add one more word to the curriculum topic for you, Kim Sachs, quickly. Science. What kind of science are you teaching? What do they really, really need early age and then middle school and high school? What do they really need to know about science? 
Well, I think, I think what Kim said is true. We, we really focus on applied science. So I can give you very briefly an example. I did mm-hmm. a unit recently, uh, and it, I went through a long securitist process to, to find this, but, uh, turns out there are old steel hulled houseboats in the world, and, uh, low-income mm. people will often, um, purchase them because they can get the, a home for a thousand to three thousand dollars, and they, they put it in the lake, and the next day it's sunk. And uh, it's because of the rust. And so you have a whole science unit there where students can be doing, testing the rust of different uh, metals. They can be um, figuring out the salt water versus the regular water versus distilled water. How does that affect the rust rate? And then you have this human interest kind of real need of people who, you know, an elderly couple who can't sleep at night because they don't have the money to fix the boat, but they're afraid it's going to sink overnight, or the young couple who is suddenly homeless. And then you move into a whole, well, what can we do? Well, we can make alarms, right? And pretty soon they're creating their own original circuits and they're figuring out how to make the water level as it rises, close the circuit and set off the alarms. And then some student says, well, wait a minute, if we do that, if they're somewhere else, maybe they're out shopping and their boat starts sinking, they won't know. And then you start going into <laughs> Wi-Fi and how you're going to send. So there's tons of science. I mean, what happens is you get this almost overwhelming amount of directions you can go. Right, And that's where you end up. I love this content sommelier. You know, for one student, it's going to be, how do I put a relay in the circuit to make it, you know, trouble safe? And for another student, it's going to be, how can I educate the, the purchasers of these boats that they require a significant amount of maintenance? Anyway, I should stop. But that, you know, when you get onto a project like that, and it takes mm-hmm. some work to locate it and kind of sure. refine it, um, the science just becomes something that they didn't even realize they're doing science. They're trying to save someone's home and they're possibly their lives. Thank you for a great example. I want to go back to school all of a sudden. You got me all excited. I I want to be there. I I want to do that. Okay, Curtis Johnson, we have time for one minute from you. Curriculum, how important is it to what you do and what you report on and disrupting class? Go. Well, let me just say that uh, while you're seeing massive agreement about the basics, Mm -hmm. uh, somebody's got to say that we are way too obsessed in this country with reading and math. Okay. Uh, we, you can't go to a conference without people bowing down and worshiping the goal about closing the achievement gap. And two things are almost immutable about that. One is that it is permanent. It will always be with us until and unless we give in to radically personalizing the learning experience. But we've got to do more than that, even though that has become recently much more plausible and much more affordable. We've got to widen the definition of what achievement is beyond this very narrow band. All kids don't need to learn the same things in the same way. Maybe some kids Mm -hmm. will excel at dance and the arts and be really poor at science. Right now we've got this tyrannizing, very narrow definition. I don't think anybody's ever been fired for not knowing quadratic equations, but they have been unemployable for a variety of other entirely relevant reasons. Very interesting. So we're talking about prioritizing the value of keeping things in the curriculum and adding new things. Good, good points, Curtis Johnson. Thank you. We love controversy, by the way. Great point. Nero, I can give you a minute. Curriculum and your vast experience, what do you think? What are your basics today? Well, I think, you know, um, Curtis is right. We've got to start with what the outcomes are, and it doesn't matter what your uh, learner needs to learn. We've got to be able to provide for them the different ways that they can learn this or access this so they can learn it at a very efficient and more, uh, you know, uh, individual manner. 
And and I think we've been. Uh, it's great to put everything on online, or it's great to kind of say, here it is. Unless we give them the reasons, unless we give them the pathways, why you have to do this, why you have to learn uh, velocity uh, movement, velocity and acceleration, so that you can take off and go to Mars. You know, you've got to know these uh, fundamental issues around learning. So the learning around math or science may actually have to have different pathways where we can inter- intermix them or intertwine them with other, um, you know, other uh, domains and disciplines. So it's really important for us to know what it is that we're trying to do. Clearly, if Kim, you know, a teacher like Kim has a very defined outcome, she knows what she's doing. That's Thank you, Nero. Thank you. We're, we're up against a break. John Mayerhofer, we're going to put your curriculum comments into your predictions when we go to the crystal ball segment. Forgive me for that. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. We've got a wow panel, a lot of great experience and great insights and visionaries, if you will. We have a lot of good backgrounds here, and I love the stories we're hearing. When we come back, we'll do crystal ball. That means I'll ask my guests, what will education, the systems, the curriculum, the focus, the methods, the outcomes and the people be like five years from today in 2017 or any time frame where their crystal ball enables them to see. We'll be right back and we'll talk to you about a freebie for you and the upcoming shows. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Brad, take us away. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Je pense donc je suis. Go figure that one out. Okay, it's time for the crystal ball. I'm going to ask my esteemed guests, what will this education topic look like? The future of education, let's put a big banner on top of it, in 2017, that's five years from today. If you want to go shorter time, longer time, tell me. Let's start with Kim Jones from Kariki. What do you see in the crystal ball, Kim? Well, Bonnie, I think we talked about a lot of experiments and a lot of people that are doing things to move towards that uh, absolutely today. But I think, you know, first of all, I think textbooks will be a thing of the past, mm-hmm. kind of like the rotary phone. Textbooks will be gone. I think the, the new quote-unquote textbook will be the tablet. I think that there will be lots and lots of different uh, media modes of learning that students will be exposed to. 
I think teachers will be coaches, uh, helping mm-hmm. kids along their personalized learning path at their own speed. I think grade levels will uh, be something of, of the distant past or moving towards the distant past. Mm. And I believe that, um, you know, blended learning and really, you know, the whole idea of project-based learning and uh, um, critical thinking and collaboration will be what you see in the classroom um, of tomorrow. Uh, I think that the classroom will look very different. I think there will be very few classrooms that will be full of uh, desks and chairs staring at the front of the room. So I think that open educational resources will be the norm. I think students will contribute um, their thoughts to the learning as opposed to just, mm-hmm. you know, textbook curriculum developers. And I think we'll have a much more highly educated and student that is much more prepared to take on the problems that we solve in our society today. Thank you, Kim Jones from Kariki. Kim Sachs, what's in your crystal ball from the Nueva School, please? Well, I second everything Kim said, so thanks for helping with my list. Um, <laughs> so we've been running our innovation lab now. This is our sixth year. And what's happened is a widespread throughout the Bay Area and actually the nation of schools adding this kind of hands-on um, engineering-based 21st century manufacturing skills kind of spaces in their classroom. So I'm predicting that that growth is going to accelerate even more. I, I also anticipate vocational ed coming back. I think that that was a big mistake of the nation to kind of let that go. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's tricky to predict this far out because uh, three years ago, it was only our advanced middle schoolers who used our CAD software and the laser cutter to cut things. And now we have second graders marching in the first day of second grade saying, I want to cut this out on the laser cutter. So mm. if you extrapolate that out, I mean, I think we're going to have very young children using some of these technologies to create prototypes and things. And then briefly, I think that teachers, as they go through the process of this change, will become more collaborative. They'll they'll find their voice as a profession more and start advocating for what they know really works with students. Right now, they seem a little bit more risk-averse and a little bit more tucked in. I'm hoping they'll feel more re-energized. I think there will be much more entrepreneurship teaching, specific teaching mm-hmm. in our schools, um, so that people can leverage their ideas and improve the world and get it out there, profit or non-profit. And then finally, uh, I, in the flip classroom, of course, and then Finally, I think um, there will be more mentorships, mentorships and internships for students so that when you've done all this kind of real-life world, you can become an actual helping active participant as a high school student and get, gain even more important experience. Wonderful. And I think I heard somewhere in there, Kim Sachs, that you might even have been daring to talk about making education fun. OMG, consider that concept. (laughs) How innovative and creative and revolutionary is that? Curtis Johnson, City States Group and author of, co-author of Disrupting Class. What do you see in your crystal ball, Curtis, five years from today? Well, when it gets to be 2018, we're going to look back and three things will stand out. One is we'll have significantly fewer colleges and universities in this country, but better ones. Secondly, Uh, the majority of all learning in the secondary and post-secondary sectors will occur in the technology platform, and it will seem kind of quaint that we underestimated that back in 2012. Um, And third, when we look back, uh, we will see a book that just came out this month and is available on Amazon called Trusting Teachers to be a game-changing message about what happens when teachers really are fully in charge of a school. 
Very interesting. Fully in charge of a school. Quickly tell me, does all of what you're talking about, Curtis Johnson, apply to inner city schools, which you know are quite challenging just getting through the day, safety issues and all that, and I don't want to get into that part, but versus uh, in, in areas where it's safer to be a teacher. Is well, this it's, applying? It's, dang- a, yeah, it's dangerous to oversimplify here, but I would tell you that all the research about motivation applies equally in the inner city, applies equally to kids from poor families. We can get the results we're looking for if we arrange schools so it motivates kids. Love it. Good, good. A good optimism. We like a crystal ball that sees positive things on the horizon. Thank you, Curtis Johnson. Nero Kosla, talk to me. What's in your crystal ball? Nero? Well, I, I think what's going to happen, I agree with a lot of the stuff already said, but I think what's going to happen is there's going to be more ownership of your own education. Mm-hmm. Um, different levels, there'll be different ways of uh, that that being expressed. Um, but, you know, the, the, the paper and pencil will expand to other tools, other uh, things. Uh, technology will take its rightful place as a tool in helping teachers and students learn. Uh, we don't even know the power of that tool yet. So uh, I predict that's going to be one of our strongest points, but we'll still have uh, the basics that you know we need to provide um, critical thinking, creative thinking, real-life application for learning. That's really what's missing, and I predict by that time that's going to become a lot more uh, evident why we're doing this. Thank you, Nero. Good points. And last but not least, again, John Mayerhofer from SAP, VP of Innovation, SAP Labs. John, I'll give you a a little over a minute because we shorted you in the last segment. Talk to me. Predictions, what do you see? Okay, so uh, a guy at Autodesk named Bill O'Connor, he's one of the fellows, said that we're better at creating the future than predicting it. And I, I like mm-hmm. that. I, I fully believe that. I mean, there's a lot of trends happening and just a lot of framework uh, for enabling a number of many different outcomes. And in the Education 2022 report that Alex Zhu and I published, we, we took an optimistic path. We, we predicted an optimistic outcome. Um, so one of the things that really inspired us was uh, Curtis's book, Disrupting Class, because it showed that even among what looks like a daunting challenge in education, and it the same applies to healthcare, for example, um, there there's a framework that innovators and disruptors follow. Uh, it's the Clayton Christensen's Disruptive Innovation Framework. And, and I believe that teachers, parents, and students are going to lead the disruption. So that's I think that's a core point. From a curriculum standpoint, I'm a big fan of Dan Pink's book, A Whole New Mind. And, you know, this is why Kim's work, and and frankly, Kim's work and Nehru's work inspires me so much. Uh, We are going to be more concerned with the psychological, the physical, the spiritual, and the social aspects of the learner. And 21st century sensibilities such as critical thinking, creativity, design, story, play, are going to be so much more important. And let's not forget meaning. Talk to any young student now, and you'll see how much they strive for meaning and and, and how strong their values are. Um, So I think that's going to be really important. Technology, machine learning, in-memory data management, cloud, mobile, sensors everywhere. Mm. This is going to enable us to understand students and enable personalized, immersive, adaptive, contextual learning. Thank you, John. 
I'm, I'm, I have to go into my predictions, John. Thank you so much. Good, good scope of information. I'll thank all my guests in just a moment. Hey, talking to my listeners, are you a game changer challenged by vast volumes of business data? It's huge. It's coming at you from everywhere. You need to analyze it fast. You need to access it and understand what it could do for your business. There's a banner on our show page on the business channel. It says free HANA value calculator. Click it, learn more. Free, it's on us. And I'm going to do my predictions. Next Wednesday, it may be Halloween trick or treat, but we've got a treat for you, the changing role of today's CIO. What will the I in CIO stand for next? That's our treat for our listeners on Coffee Break with Game Changers. November 7th, coming up fast, Negotiation and Persuasion, the 21st Century Sales Warrior Playbook with SAP North America COO Ross Wainwright and other thought leaders. November 14th, we're going to drive you to a new topic, electric cars and e-mobility. Woo-hoo! Anybody wants a free coffee cup? We've got the official Game Changers mug at www.sapgamechangers.com. GameChangersRadio.com. Go get it. We've got a few left on the shelf. I want to do a shout-out to Patricia Harris, Malcolm Chamberlain. See you tomorrow. Malcolm Kimberlin. You have a new last name. Malcolm Kimberlin. See you in New York tomorrow. We're going to collaborate on the future of SAP Radio and come up with some great topics. Thank you to the Business Channel team. Thank you to my guests, Kim Jones, Kim Sachs, Curtis Johnson, Nero Kosla, and John Mayerhoff. You are all great. Thanks for sharing your insights. And I have one final word for my listeners. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thanks for listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.